Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, this is the passage that the video is going to speak to. He reaches back into the Old Testament, into Isaiah, the only book that we have remaining today in its entirety. I've seen the real thing, not the fake one on display in Israel currently. It's the only book, it's the most prophetic book in my opinion that points to Jesus. Praise God he saw fit to keep that one in its entirety. You can read the whole thing today. He reaches back into Isaiah. The video is going to be, in my opinion, based off this passage in Isaiah. It says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Listen. Verse 16. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach And to say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Father, I pray for tonight. I pray fervently for tonight. I pray that, as I said before, that our humanity would be fractured by you. That you would swoop in. You would crack our humanity. That you would show us, though we may feel it's the opening of wounds, that you're you're here to heal. And that this concept of repentance is nothing to fear. It's nothing like the world would display it. It's nothing like the church refuses to talk about. But it's a great, beautiful blessing. I pray that you bless this time. I pray that you bless this study. I pray that I decrease, that you might increase. Teach us tonight, Lord. That's our prayer. Amen. I'm living in a land of death. The trees are burning gray There's a smoldering smoke overhead And the night looks the same as the day It seems a miracle that I can stand When everyone I've known Drifts up in the air with the ash Every time that the wind starts to blow But I feel alive with a life that's not mine Your law is a stream in this wasteland My lifeline, so much more than precious gold All your promises, my Lord, bother me Oh
It's a word the world hates, and it's a word that the church is beginning to avoid. It's a word the world hates. And unfortunately, it's a word that the church is beginning to avoid. Repent. See, the world associates repent with religious bigots that hold signs like God hates fags. And so the church sees that and says, well, then we've got to be the opposite of that. So if their sign says repent, then we're not going to say repent. It's too coarse. It's too harmful. It, it, it cuts at the very core of everyone. And, and, and we want to be seeker sensitive. We want to be open. We want to be about love and grace and mercy. And those all are true. But at the expense of repent, it's interesting to note that in the gospel of Matthew, according to his account, that is the first word that Jesus spoke upon initiating his preaching ministry. You know that Jesus was a preacher. The majority of his ministry was preaching and teaching. And the first word he says, as recorded in Matthew, is repent. And we take a look at the conferring verse in Mark. Mark 1.15, you don't have to go there. It says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see how he connected that? He said, repent and believe in the gospel. See how he associates repentance with the gospel, which means good news? Would you put something harsh and harmful at the beginning of something that ends with the good news? No, see, Jesus didn't associate it with anything negative. He associated it as a blessing, as a gift, something to be excited about, something that restores, something that renews, something that invigorates the church, this offering, this blessing of repentance. And so our goal tonight is to simply see how this concept of repentance plugs in to the gospel. Because Jesus associates it with the gospel. And he's the greatest Bible teacher to ever live. He held a couple Bible studies. I can't wait for the ones to come. So he's the greatest Bible teacher. So if he associates repentance with the gospel, it's there. It exists. It's true. Our job is to simply unpack that. My job tonight is not to impose my beliefs, but rather to expose God's truths. This is not a sermon about imposition. This is a sermon of exposition where we simply reveal God's truths as proclaimed in his word. Don't come and sit over the text because I did that for years. And just sit over the text and try to dominate the text rather than submitting yourself to the text and say, what does God say about himself? Not what do I think of him? Because we come up with all sorts of bizarre things. We start associating repentance with a bigoted group of hateful non-Christians. Not the glory that it was intended for. It was an offering. It was a blessing. And it's interesting that in verses 12 through 16, Jesus sets this in historical context. Okay, the Bible sets this in historical context. He goes off to a place known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay, it's in the region of Galilee, don't get me wrong, but I kind of see it as I'm from Chicago, and people call Chicago what? The Windy City. Two people know. That's great, right? And it's actually not, they actually don't call it Windy City because of the wind off the lake. 
Do you know that? It's from the windy politics of the 20s. That's what they called it. I mean, how many people know that? 90% of the people in Chicago don't know that, all right? So they're like, oh, it's always breezy off the lake. That must be why it's called, all right? But it's sort of just a way that you frame something based off a of culture, right? And so they're calling this Galilee of the Gentiles, sort of like a subname of just general Galilee. It was a place at the time that was still populated by Jews. Don't confuse that to think, well, the, the Gentiles were just dominating it. No, the area by population was still dominated by Jews. By population, but by culture, it was dominated by Gentiles. And so, essentially, you've got a lot of religious people. You've got a lot of churchgoers, a lot of Bible study people. Okay, Lots of surveys went out. 80, 90% of the people said they believed in God. But when you boiled it down, you took a look at the culture. It was dominated by the godless. The, all the references to God were being torn down from the vestiges of public life. Sound like any country you know. Where a majority of the people profess something on paper, yet the vestiges and the cultural outlets are seemingly gone for faith. That's where he goes. And so what he's dealing with is he's dealing with two general categories of people. He's dealing with the Gentiles, which are just anyone that wasn't a Jew. But in a deeper level, it was someone that wasn't in covenant with God. It was non-believers, people that were outside of God's will. They were outside of the church. And then he's got the Jews who are what? Law-based. He's got the whole spectrum in this region. He's got the non-churchgoers and the hyper-religious. The darkness of the Gentiles is that they don't have a covenant with God. The darkness of the Jews is that they think law is their way to salvation. And Jesus cuts right through the middle, which is what I dig most about him. Always. Truth is in the tension, and that's where he sits. You got the extremes, you got the separatists, you got the culturalists, you got the Gentiles, you got the Jews, and Jesus cuts right down through the middle. And that's where the truth exists and the tension. And so he goes to this region of Israel, it's in the northern part, and he's teaching, and he kicks off the entire thrust of his preaching ministry with the word repent. Repent. But repentance started a long time before that. God's desire for repentance didn't begin in the instance that Jesus said, repent. If you've ever heard me teach before, you'll probably laugh because I have an amazing knack to go back to Genesis for everything. Everything. Let's talk about manhood. Cool, Genesis. Let's talk about feminine. Cool, Genesis. Genesis. Because everything began in Genesis. And if we're to understand the root of something, you have to go to its origin. And so we travel back to Genesis 1. And we see in the first chapter, do you know chapter 1, Genesis 1, have you ever read that? That's God preaching for the first time. Not the incarnation Jesus, but God himself preaching. Everything we know and can see and can fathom came into existence by the first sermon. That's God in Genesis 1. Everything came about by his word. And if you remember when we kicked this study off, I taught the very first one when we talked about where Jesus was from. We talked about how Jesus, per Colossians, was the mode by which everything was created. Everything was created by him and through him and for him. So when God spoke the heavens into existence, the mode by which it was created was Jesus. Crazy. You're like, how's that possible? No idea. None. No idea. But I know it's true. And that's crazy and radical. 
And so everything he said came into existence by his word, by, through, and for Jesus, the word. And so he creates everything in Genesis 1, and from him springs new life, created in what? His image. Right? The key to understanding the beginning of everything is to understand we're not God and we're not lower creation. We're right in the middle. Right? I teach this on masculinity all the time. First thing you've got to understand if you're a man is to know that you're not God, but you're also not an animal. Right? And the world wants to tell you one of those two, and they're both wrong. You're right in the middle. Ladies included. Humanity, right in the middle. We are not God, but we are not animals either. And so we are created in his image. We are stamped with God's image. And there is a purpose associated with that. The word image is used elsewhere. And it essentially means to reflect. Right? So when it says Jesus is the image of the God, he's reflecting God to himself. So yeah, they're the same person. Because when God looks into a mirror, he sees himself. And then the word is slightly used in a different context. When it, re- when it talks about us, we are reflecting to the world his image. We're not God. He doesn't look at us and see himself. Thank goodness. Right? So, so God reflects through us. I went to a college conference one time. And two guys that were from like the art department brought out this huge mirror. I've told this story to the college ministry. And they stood by this whole, you know, that old school like swiveling mirror thing. It came on like rollers like in your grandma's basement, that whole thing. That's California. You guys don't know what basements are. All right, so it's underground. It's creepy. It's weird. Right? And so you got this old mirror. And they come out and they give the whole sermon just holding this whole thing. Like, wow, and they're just talking about how you're, you're God's image and, and, and everything reflects and, and all that sort of stuff. And we're in this big auditorium, it's got lights. I mean, these burn my eyes, but they're like 4,000 times crazier than that, right? And he's like, and when God shines, it's intense. And he goes like that with the mirror and it hits everyone. You're just like retinas, you're ready to sue the church, the whole thing. Like everything's down. It's like, oh my gosh. And then he pulls out a hammer and he says, but that's not you. And he shatters it. But the, everything stayed. I don't know how they did that. They like glued it. But it like, bam, and it cracked. It's like a cell phone, like, like an iPhone, right? And it just stayed. And he goes like this, and the light goes like this, everywhere. And like, that's what you're doing. It's scattered, and it's broken, and it's not true. It, it's not actually an actual perfect representation of that light that's shining through you. But it's getting the point across in a fractured way. Welcome to your purpose in life. I'm tired of Christians walking around acting like we don't have purpose. Well, Jesus died a couple thousand years ago and he hasn't come back yet. So we're just sort of floating. Just trying to figure it out. No, that's your mission. You're stamped with the image of God. Your mission is to reflect God to the earth. For the believers, as bad as it's going to get, earth. Non-believers, as good as it's going to get. Okay, so we're stamped with God's image. He creates us by his very word, new life springs in Genesis 1. And then what does man do with it? We do what we do best. We rebel. Right? We take the Bible out of context. Read Genesis. Right? Take the Bible out of context. God didn't really mean what he, you know, he said. And we get deceived. And so we rebel. We think we can be God. And we rebel. And so in Genesis 3, 6 through 8, man rebels. All of creation is fractured and now fallen. All of it. The earth too. Hurricanes happen, why? Because creation is fractured. It's not a natural disaster, it's actually unnatural. Natural is upside down. 
That's why when Jesus comes and performs miracles, he doesn't turn reality upside down real quick. He actually restores it to normative per him. So to tell you what, I'm going to feed everyone real quick, even though we only got two loaves, right? Bam, everyone's full. That's how it was supposed to be. And you go back to your fallen state. Jesus just kind of surfs on water, right? I got a shirt that says Jesus surfs without a board, right? So I'd be like, oh, that's like a miracle. He like, he turned all the laws of nature. No, what he did is he turned the laws of nature back to their original intent, where it doesn't matter. Jesus could do whatever the heck he wants, right? So miracles actually restore it real quick. You get a glimpse of perfection in a miracle. You don't get a glimpse into the abnormal. We're living in abnormal. This is not his intent. This is not per his image. Right, so man rebels, we do what we do best. Still to this day, we're still doing that. And then we run and we hide. Sin enters the world and we run and we hide. And then something crazy happens. If you guys don't see how ridiculous God is, I don't know what else I can do. He really is ridiculous in the, perf- in the perfect sense. It just, it just defies common sense. What does God do in that moment when man rebels? What does he do? He sits on his throne and he waits for us to call, right? He pursues us. Man fractured creation. And what does he do? He swoops down and he pursues us. Some of you don't understand that God is pursuing you right now. Some of you think, well, when it's it's on my time, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to kind of, we'll go have a talk, maybe have some counseling. Right, and kind of start to, he's pursuing you tonight. I'm a Christian, though. Let's get back to the, t- he's pursuing you, Christian. He's pursuing us. And so God swoops in, he pursues us, and the first question uttered in human history is, where are you? Gentlemen, here's a, another take from the masculinity thing. No, notice what God does. He swoops down and says, hey, Eve, nice to see you. Where's Adam? Right? I'll deal with you in a second. Where's Adam? You know, Adam's like, she did it first. You know, right? And he comes and he says, where's the man? Where's the husband? Gentlemen, you better take that seriously. So he swoops down, he pursues, and he says, Adam. Like, God doesn't know where he is. Like, this is such a fun game. Where is he? You know, like, no, he comes down and he says, where are you? What is he doing? He's asking him to simply repent. Where are you? You've sinned. You're hiding. Where are you? Out with it. Talk to me. Tell me. Confess. Where are you? First question uttered in human history. God is simply waiting and then he talks to him individually, right? So he confronts in Genesis 3.11, he confronts, but instead of repenting, Adam does what? Shifts the blame, classic guy move. God, it was, come here. Hey, it was fine till she showed up and you gave me her, okay? It's on you. It's on her, oh, sorry, it's on her. You gave me her. Classic guy move. Right? Guy that doesn't take responsibility is not a man. He's just a boy with facial hair. Okay? Responsibility, huge. Adam, blame shifts. Confronts Eve. What does she do? Excuses the circumstances. Classic. First parents. You think you're different? You're like, look at those. No. Yeah. Doing the same thing today, aren't we? So Adam 
shifts the blame. Eve excuses it instead of repenting. And this idea of repentance that Jesus kicks off the entire ministry. So so God shows up in the garden, says, where are you? Then God comes to earth and the first word out of his mouth is repent. Repent. He knows us. I'm just going to start with that. I'm going to start with repent. All fallen, all fractured. Our desires lead us away from God. It's a struggle that you're going to be with for the rest of your life until revelation happens. You're going to constantly be pulled by the world, pulled by your flesh in this direction. And God says, no, go this direction. And he pursues you to tell you, to convict you, to regenerate you, to empower you to do so. He doesn't leave you hanging. And so this idea of repentance is clearly on the mind of Jesus as he starts the whole thing. I love Pastor Dave. He planted Calabasas, Calvary Chapel Calabasas, right? I love the man's heart. He shows up and he says, all right, first service. What's the worst thing to teach on? Matthew. We're just going to do genealogy real quick, right? And I love that. It's just like church is never going to plant. It's never going to take root. You can't go through genealogy. You got to give some acts, you know, something out of acts, empowered church, planting, whatever, right? Repent's probably not, quote, by the world, the smartest way for Jesus to kick off his ministry. Hey, repent. Then let's talk. That's offensive. I don't need to. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much good. I'm just trying to get back to like how I was when I was baby because I was born perfect. right? So I'm just trying to kind of undo all the crap I've done since then. And that's how we think. And, and even as Christians, we sort of think that in general, even though we don't say it with our minds, we just sort of think we've kind of come this far from good, innocence, purity as a child. We just got to start kind of undoing stuff to get back to it. And so before we actually take a look at what God gave me, in terms of this teaching on, on repentance, I want to take a look real quick at what repentance is not. Defining things are really, sometimes they can be really easy. I'm a word dork. I majored in communications. I love it. Like Merriam-Webster is a tab on my browser, right? Like I love looking it up real quick, etymology, just figure everything out. And, it's, and, it, and God gave me a definition. We'll see how it plays into this entire teaching. But I also want to unpack real quick what it's not. We did a study through forgiveness. You would see it, it takes a lot longer to figure out, it, to, to undo all the wrong beliefs about what forgiveness is. And we're going to do the same thing here. I want to pull back. I came up with a list of nine. Maybe there's 486. I'm not sure. I'm not that bright. Came up with nine. Couldn't even get to 10 to make it even. But we're just going to pull back, hopefully, some of the things that may be confusing you about what repentance is. Maybe not. You're probably biblical scholars and smarter than me, so it won't surprise you. That first and foremost, repentance is not shifting blame, Adam. Okay, it's not excusing the circumstances, Eve. It's not confessing after being caught. Like, oh, shoot, oh, my bad, I repent. That's not repenting. Okay? It's not downplaying, minimalizing your sin. Okay? It's not managing sin. Well, I don't want it to be an idol, but I'm just sort of scaling it back to like once or tw- twice a week, sort of like a cheat sin, you know? It's mainly on the weekends, Friday, Friday, Saturday. I really, I pick it up on Sunday, right? And I just get, I get, a, I get real good on Sunday. But Friday and Saturday, right? It's not, it's not managing your sin. I'm, I'm, repen- I'm in a state of repentance, Right? It's not manipulating God or people, i.e. it's not apologizing to get something in return. Well, I'm just going to repent real quick and then God will start to bless me. 
then he'll take care of it. I got, right, you run into a problem, you're like, shoot, what do I need to undo before God so that he can kind of fix the thing that's in front of me? Right, we do that all the time. Like, oh no, big, okay, hey God, come here. First of all, I got my list of things I'm gonna repent for real quick because this is coming up and I need you to help me get over that. It's not, God's not fooled. People aren't fooled. Your spouse isn't fooled. I'm just gonna repent so that we can, so that maybe she'll see my way, you know, right? Or, I'm going to do the godly thing real quick and repent so that we can go where I want to go on vacation or go where I want to go to dinner, okay? So it's not manipulating God or people. It's not feeling bad in and of itself. Feeling remorse is good. This is what Paul speaks about to the Corinthians. He calls it worldly sorrow. So oh, I feel really bad about that. What are you going to do? Continue feeling really bad about that. Probably till tomorrow and then I'm going to get over it. Because there's no change. I'm just going to feel, I'm going to tell everyone I feel bad. Probably going to do a Facebook status on it. If I'm out in the open, tweet about it. Feel really bad. Any change come about from that? No. I mean, I'm going to change tomorrow when I go back to being normal. Right? That's not it. That's not repentance. It's not grieving the consequences of the sin just in and of itself. Right? It's not this idea that you hate that you got caught. You hate that it got you in Trouble with the law or with church leadership or your friends or your family? It's, oh man, I really, that really sucks. Oh man, they really got me this time. That's not repentance. It's cosmic treason that you've committed. You think feeling bad about the consequences before God is efficacious? He says your sins are going to find you out. He wrote the dang book. Right? So there's going to be earthly ramifications for your sin. Just feeling bad about that's not repentance. Here's my last one, probably my favorite, because I love telling the college guys and, and gals that pretty much everything about God is not about them. So repentance is not about you. It's not about you. Some of you think it is. That's the first error I think that we really need to confront. Maybe the other eight didn't, you're like, yeah, who would believe that, idiots? And you go, wait, 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 what do you mean? Pretty sure I'm the one doing the repentance. I'm pretty sure it's about me. Right? And, and, and what are we doing? We're just turning everything about God back into ourselves. This is something that I'm going to, that I'm going to do, that I'm going to, that I'm going to, that I'm going to. It's not something he's done. And so here, for our operating purposes, here's the definition. I'm going to show you how I came up with this. Okay? There's lots of definitions for repentance. 180 degree turn. Changing your mind. Okay? All that's, there's tons of it. Here's our operating definition of repentance. Turning from and putting to death sin. Repentance is turning from and putting to death your sin. I'm going to show you how that plays out. We understand... a lot about Jesus, I hope. And one of the things that you're hopefully seeing is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. The entirety of the Bible is about one person. It's called, his name is Jesus. If you don't understand Jesus, you don't get the Old Testament. Okay? The entire thing is about Jesus. Jesus fulfills everything. He fulfills roles. He fulfills concepts. Right? So Jesus comes from heaven, one culture, to earth, another culture, out of love. What's that called? A missionary. Jesus is the perfect missionary. He comes from one culture, he leaves home, comes to another, and serves people lovingly. Jesus is the perfect missionary. 
He came to fulfill prophets, right? He's the final prophet, prophet, priest, king, the three offices of Jesus. So prophets came bringing new word from God. Recently had a long debate with a Mormon about prophets and whether or not they still exist. Okay, good times. Stayed up way too late that night. Didn't work out the next day. Okay, and so the prophets brought new word, new word from God. The apostles testified to Jesus, right? Prophets, Old Testament, apostles, New Testament, testified to the work of Jesus. Okay, that's the Bible. It's how we got it. So Jesus came as the final prophet. He not only brought new word from God, he brought final word from God. That's it. Bam, done. The law was up until the pro- the law and the prophets were up until John quote Jesus. There's still prophets though that bring new word. Cool, you disagree with Jesus. We're Christians. No, you're not. All right. Take my wife's texting me. Yep. She's the only one with unfettered access. So yes, I just checked my phone from the pulpit. Okay. She's the only one with unfettered access. Gentlemen, take note. Okay. So, young gentlemen, eh, married guys too. And so Jesus comes and he brings new word. He brings final word. So he fulfills perfectly the role of prophet. He comes as priest. So Old Testament priests would bring sacrifices to God to atone for the sins of the people. Jesus says, I'm the perfect. I'm the final sacrifice. Thank goodness. I'm not cool with like the whole Old Testament church service thing. I'm glad Pastor Brett doesn't have to slaughter a goat every Sunday for us, right? Praise God. I do it every day. I don't live in the Old Testament times, right? It was a bloody mess, Right? Jesus came and said, oh, look, I'm going to fulfill that perfectly. I'm going to do it like no one else can do. So anyone tells you you need to come to them before you can go to Jesus, run. Run. It's a cult. Right? Run. Jesus says, king reigns over all creation. He created it, right? Makes sense. He talks about himself as a king, having a kingdom. He fulfills perfectly the role of king. He rules over creation. He rules over heaven. He even rule, rules over hell. Did you know that? Satan's not like happy with hell. The demons aren't, it's not like the drunk tank at the jail, right? Where they like put all the drunks until they sober up or anything like that. Like it's just kind of a holding tank for the, the guys that fight at bars and stuff. No, they're not like having a good time. Satan's not like excited that he gets a little kingdom. Per revelation, Jesus has his boot on the throat of hell. He holds the keys to hell. Yeah, he's a king. He reigns over the dungeon too. Lovingly, graciously, mercifully, but we know hell exists as a part of his plan. Jesus talked about it more than anyone. And so as king, he rules graciously, lovingly, authoritatively over everything. So he fulfilled perfectly king, but he doesn't just fulfill these roles. He fulfills concepts. He fulfilled love perfectly, grace perfectly, mercy, holiness, ministry, concepts he fulfilled perfectly. And he fulfilled repentance perfectly. So I'm like, wait a minute, Jesus never sinned. True. True. Then how on earth could Jesus model repentance for us? If he never had to turn away from and put to death his sin, how could he then model for us? Somebody figured out that I'm going somewhere. And so flip over with me to, Mar- to, to Matthew 27 real quick. It's a Bible study, right? You can turn the page once in a while. Matthew 27, same book. Toward the end. Verse 45. 
Real quick, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. You see a theme? What did we just read in Matthew? There was darkness. There's darkness. It's heavy. Sin follows us. It trails us. It holds itself over our head. There was darkness before, as I'm going to show you, Jesus modeling for us perfectly repentance. There was darkness over the land, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Second Corinthians says that he was, he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin. In this moment, Jesus became every time you swore, every time you dishonored your father or mother, every time you watched porn, every time you gossiped, every time you slandered, Jesus became all of that and God turned away. God turned from sin. And so a lot of people don't understand. How could God forsake Jesus? He's part. Jesus in that moment became sin. So God models the first thing you do is you turn away from it. And then what happens? Jesus as sin is put to death. As your sin, Jesus is put to death. God turns from sin and then by God's sovereign grace, he puts it to death. This is repentance perfected. God unleashed his wrath to show you that you must turn from and put to death your sin. And Jesus is still the hero of the story. That's the model. That's what repentance is. Turning away from and putting to death your sin. It's beautiful. It's amazing. The cross didn't happen to you. I hope you're beginning to see that it's a blessing. That has just been unleashed by God. That's all he wants to do is lavish his children. And he gives you a way by which you can combat the world while you're here. To reflect him. And that's through repentance. And so I want to talk about just a few things real quickly about the purpose. What's the purpose of me being up here? Have you thought about what's the purpose of of listening to Rob? What's the purpose of a preacher? I'm not trying to minimalize it. I'm reading a book right now called Christ-Centered Preaching, Redeeming the Expository, and it's blowing my mind. I'm like, I'm not ready for this. I can't do this, right? It's just a book by a guy. I'm not, it's gravity, and I take that very seriously. But in simplest terms, what's the point of preaching? Preach the good news. By the way, there's no wrong answer. Change lives. I like that. How about to conform the congregation through spiritual truths to a more conformed image of Christ? To conform the congregation into the image of Christ. What's the purpose of me running a college ministry? To, to, to conform by the grace of God, through the power of God. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doing anything. God's using me as an instrument to conform people more closely to his image. He stamped his image on us to begin with. 
And he wants us to then reflect who he is, how he operates to the world. And one, just one way he does that is through preachers. Through preachers. And so my job, I've got written here, is to impart spiritual truths that conform us into the image of Christ. And we've established that the purpose of repentance is to turn away from and put to death sin so that we can reflect to the world that which God has done for us on the cross. Here's how it plays out. Husbands, you haven't been protectors. You haven't been providers. You haven't been priests. It's a biblical call to be a husband. You haven't protected your family. You've been tough with your family when you're supposed to be tender with your family and tough for your family. You've inverted it. You've been tough with your family and tender with those that seek to harm your family. You haven't provided financially or spiritually or physically or sexually for your wife. You haven't been a priest to your children. You haven't prayed with them. You haven't prayed with your wife. You haven't cracked the Bible. You haven't imparted truth. You haven't seen the gospel in the shadows of the world. You haven't taken that seriously. These are sins of omission. You haven't done what you're supposed to do. As opposed to commission where you've done what you're not supposed to do. So husbands, you haven't been protectors. You haven't been providers. You haven't been priests. You haven't loved your wife as Jesus loves the church. He loved her this much. What you have done is you've provoked children to anger when you should have been bringing them up in training and admonition of the Lord. Per Ephesians 6. Sometimes your child's behavior is your fault, gentlemen. Sometimes you do provoke them to anger and they lash out. You're not going to hear that from a shrink. Sometimes it is your fault. You need to own up. God says, where are you, husbands? Wives, you haven't been a helper. You haven't been respectful. You haven't been submissive. You haven't been a good witness to your husband's ministry. You haven't ministered to him like the Bible declares women did to Jesus. They ministered to him. Jesus wasn't a sexist. He took ministerial advice from women. What you have done, ladies, is you've desired to rule over your husbands and families. When you should have been admonishing younger women to love their husbands and children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed in Titus 2. That's what you have done. Sons and daughters, you're my favorite. You've been disrespectful. You've been dishonoring of your parents and your elders. You need to knock it off. You've been deceitful. You've been lazy. You've been rebellious, selfish. You've been users of drugs and filthy language. Gentlemen, you're immersed in porn. Ladies, you're immersed in Pinterest. Both forms of porn. They are. Do you know what they tried to do a study in England? I forget the prestigious university. They tried to do a study of England. Any of you read this? They simply wanted to sample development differences between men that had viewed porn and men who hadn't. Big problem when you couldn't find a single guy that hadn't been using porn. They canceled the whole study. No grant. They couldn't even fake it. Let's just fake it so we get the money anyways. Couldn't. I sit down with the college ministry I got two things in common with all the guys. Jesus, I pray, and porn. 17 years of my life, I was gripped by porn. Served in the church faithfully. Was coming here, was sitting next to you guys on Sundays. 
I wasn't ripped from that sin until I was 30. By the grace of God, you know how, how ridiculous it is to try to hide your porn addict from your one-year-old walking around, stumbling into the room when he shouldn't? It's disgusting. And I finally prayed to God. I said, God, I, I, I repent, and I want you to make me sick of my sin. And he did. And now I have a heart for guys that struggle with that because I know what it's doing. Ladies, you got your own issues. Romance novels, Pinterest. You're going to collide in marriage and realize he wants porn, you want Pinterest, and you're, neither one of you is getting what you want. It's not all cute quotes and all that sort of stuff either. I'm on Pinterest. I, I'm a marketer for crying out loud. I see what you see. That's just girl version of porn, okay? Oh my gosh, he's so dreamy, and he's got a list of 10 things he's going to do for me on our first date, right? Some of you don't have no clue what Pinterest is, and you're like Googling it right now. Porn for women, what? Right? Not really. Right? You've immersed yourself, sons and daughters, in porn, romance novels. You're longing for the flesh when you should be longing for the word as flesh. And this whole thing, this whole teaching, this whole study, this whole concept, which was fulfilled perfectly on the cross, has massive, massive implications for the world. That Christians would actually understand why we repent changes everything. Because when husbands start repenting to their wives, when wives start repenting to their husbands, when parents start repenting to their children, when parents start repenting to their co-workers, when parents start repenting to their family, when children start repenting to their parents, suddenly that light that comes down, though fractured, begins to illuminate a very, very dark world. Because Jesus modeled it so perfectly. He says, I'm going to turn away from sin because I serve a greater God. I'm going to put to death my sin because ultimately it will be my death. And so God shows up tonight. I'm here to tell you he's pursuing you. God shows up tonight. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your marital status is, how many Facebook accounts you are. I don't care anything. The thing that we share is Christ and a fallen condition. And God shows up tonight. Churchgoers, non-churchgoers, Bible study leaders, pastors, non-involved. And he says, there is no way the guy on stage right now knows anything about your sin, but I do. There is no way I can speak into your lives more effortlessly, more effectively than God can do right now. And he shows up and he has one question. Where are you? Where are you? You're hiding. You've sinned. It's not a bad word. I'm opening up my arms. Where are you? Confess. Come clean. Come before me. All I want to do is hug you. We want that from our children, right? I just wish you would confess and just come over and give me a hug. And then we act like God isn't the same. Well, he's God. He's sort of got crazy powers and stuff. He, probably, he doesn't weep. He's not angry at times. He isn't wrathful and just and merciful and loving. Stop acting like you're the only creation that has these emotions. He's not part of creation. Bad theology point. We'll cut it from the video. The creator has them too. 
That's why he instilled emotion in you, so you could more closely understand him. Why is God angry? I don't know. Why do you get angry? Eh, for good reasons. I don't know why God, the Old Testament's horrific, right? Because he wants you to more, now he wants you to harness anger, don't get me wrong. Some of you are confused that, you know, yeah, God gets angry. Righteously, he got, Jesus got angry in the temple. He, puf, he fulfilled anger perfectly with the merchants in the temple. I love that. He's over in the corner with that whip, remember? He's probably quoting scripture like, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't And then he got, unleashes, and Jesus was angry. He was mad, but don't talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. And Jesus shows up. God shows up, and he says, where are you? To each one of you, per your own sin, like he did to me two years ago with porn, and he continues to do with my other sins. None of them are more grievous than the other. And he shows up tonight, and he says, in prayer, I want to talk to you. Where are you? Repent. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, repent. And I imagine he's got a smile on his face. The Gentiles are stoked to hear that God cares about them. The Jews are stoked to hear about the fact that they don't have to keep the law. They can repent. They're going to continue to be sinners. They're never going to get to that place where they're fine before God because of the law. And he says, just repent. I just want to hug you. Where are you? I know where you are. Stop hiding. But we do not repent because we can overcome our sin. Some of you think I just undid the whole sermon. God shows up and he says, where are you? Our answer is this, we're in darkness. We're living in a land of death. We want to see a great light. He says, repentance is the way. But we do not repent so that we can overcome our sin. Brothers and sisters, I'm here pleading with you by the grace of God to infuse this into your life. We do not repent because we can overcome our sin. We repent because Jesus already has. Repentance is a blessing. Modeled perfectly on the cross. Answer God. Where are you? We say we're here. Tonight, we repent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray that anything that came from me would be discarded and and remembered no more. I pray that everything that came from you would score our heart but not as it opens a wound, but as it begins to heal it. Repentance is not the opening of a wound, but it's the beginning of the healing of that wound. We're all fractured, myself included. We're fractured, and you've offered this blessing of repentance. It's not a bad word. It's how you kicked off your entire preaching ministry. That's amazing. I just pray that everyone here would be willing tonight to answer your question. We hide behind sin, all sorts of sin. I pray now by the grace of of God, by the Holy Spirit, that you would penetrate each one of our hearts. Expose those that you wish to take care of first. We got a lot down in there. Show us tonight where we begin. We love you. We thank you for this blessing and we thank you that you modeled 
what repentance is so that we would have no doubt as to what it truly means. We love you and we praise you. Amen.